This is Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. Here's your host, Lockie Wills. Hello and welcome to Sports Cutting Edge. Thank you very much for your company. We do it for the Australian Sports Technologies Network, ASTN. Check them out, astn.com.au. Powering sport through innovation. From the share house to the penthouse. Today we highlight a a magnificent story of an Aussie business that started with three blokes, Sam James, Laurie Malone and Chris Rowe, sitting around their Brisbane share house having a conversation. That was seven years ago. Now, Vold Performance is one of the world leaders in sports technology. They lead the pack when it comes to musculoskeletal performance, the way in which products can help to ascertain performance, results, analysis, and delivering the great outcomes for people right across the world. They're with every EPL club. They're with 25 NBA teams, 27 NFL teams, 22 Major League Baseball teams, 17 NRL teams, and now their products are being democratized, access right across the world, everywhere you could imagine, not just in physiotherapy clinics, but also starting to look at technology that can take their tech, their devices into the homes of everyday people to have the widest possible application and the widest possible enhancement of health and well-being. It's tremendous. Sam James on the show today to talk about how they did it, you know, what goes into it. You know, going from the share house to the penthouse. As well as that, our APAC correspondent, Tom Dimitriou, out and about, this time catching up with Ollie Howard from Startup Bootcamp. That's what's ahead of us. First up, from Vold, it's Sam James. You're listening to Sports Cutting Edge. For ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. It's a great honour to be joined on the show now by the Chief Strategy Officer from Vault. He's a former head of Europe, former Chief Tech Officer, and also back in the day was Managing Director of Blue Core Cutting Edge Swim Technology. He's a mechanical engineer and industrial designer out of the Queensland University of Technology from Vault. Sam James. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Quite an intro. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's hey, you know what? It's quite a career. And you're a young man too, so you've done a fair bit. Um, I love the title, Head of Europe. That's that's a pretty cool title. Just running uh, just running a yeah. continent. <laughs> yeah, probably uh, probably slightly overstated it uh, somewhat, but uh, I was managing our sales team over there for a for a period. But uh yeah, it's uh so I got to spend a year in in uh in the UK and sort of travelling around Europe and meeting a lot of our clients and setting up a business over there. So yeah. that was nice. Mate, a bloody oath. The one thing I've learned from the corporate world, there's no such thing as overstating anything. Uh, no, but mate, that's a huge gig, a bloody huge gig. Um, so with Vault, I mean, you guys have just had you know such an impact uh, in the world uh, on the industry of sport and health. Um, you're world leaders in musculoskeletal technology, performance allied health, and also tactical professionals. Uh, can you tell us, Sam, you know, for, for people who aren't as aware, can you give people a bit, you know, can you put some meat on the bone, so to speak, about what you do, what your tech does, and what your key goals are? Yeah, absolutely. So we we make a, a, a suite of uh, products and systems that um, assess and monitor and improve musculoskeletal uh, health and performance. Um, so think like anything about how you move, how strong you are, 
how powerful you are, how, how fast you are, um, all these sort of things around how your body moves and how it performs. We, we've we've got pretty much got something to measure it. If, if you're talking about some sort of musculoskeletal function of the body, yeah. um, we've got something to measure it and monitor it and, um, and then systems to sort of try and help improve it as well as far as like exercise prescription and things like that go as well. So we're, again, that musculoskeletal area of health is really sort of our playground. Mm -hmm. And we've got a, a suite of technologies, uh, 10 different products now, um, sort of combinations of hardware and software and everything in between um, to address all, uh, all things musculoskeletal health, basically. Mate, you certainly do the suite. It includes the Force Dex Dual Force Plate System, the Nord Board Hamstring Testing, which is just fantastic what you've been able to do there, uh, Force Frame Strength Testing System, the Airbands Blood Flow Restriction Cuffs, the Human Track Movement Analysis System, Smart C Speed Timing Gate System, Smart Jump Portable Jump Mat, and Tallyhab Exercise Prescription App. And then, you, you know, the fact that you've been able to not just put out these world-leading products, but you've been able to get the best in the world to come along for the journey with you. You're with 20 EPL clubs, 25 NBA teams, 27 NFL teams, 22 Major League Baseball sides as well, 120-plus UEFA clubs with 70 governing bodies, 100-plus uh, colleges in the US, and also 17 NRL teams here in Australia. So... Being able to work with those sort of clients, tell us, you know, yourself, you've got a big role uh, heading up strategy. Um, how important is it to be able to get the big fish, these sort of massive organisations from throughout the world, and work with them? How, how important is that to your story? Um, yeah, so it's been it's been interesting. We've sort of uh, had a an interesting sort of approach uh, to the business, not necessarily intentionally at the very start, um, and we probably realised some of our successes after they happened. Yeah. Um, but we had... Uh, so our first product, the Nordboard that you spoke about, there was actually licensed out of the Queensland University of Technology, and um, by, by a couple of researchers there, um, Anthony Shield and David Opar, who'd invented it um, in the years prior, and um, <clears throat> they already had uh, some papers published, which sort of had the, had the, the eyes and ears of some of these big teams around the world already. Yeah. Um, not quite as long a list as what we have these days, but. It was a nice sort of little foot in the door for some interest in the product before it was even a product. Yeah. Um, so, and we were able to um, sort of leverage those people and those networks um, to kind of build out that client base from you know what started as you know one EPL one EPL team and uh, you know uh, the, the English rugby team and you know a few others and kind of I think the the sort of Aussie way of doing business uh, and the reputation of uh, technology and sports technology coming out of Australia helped us a lot because we're, you know, we're not jamming things down people's throats. We sort of know what we can do. We know what we can't do. We're fairly honest about that. Yeah. Um, but the reputation of uh, Australia and sports science and sports technology coming out of Australia, I think, helped a lot. Um, so we we're able to kind of take those, you know, those contacts, those people that had interest before we even had a product. Yeah. And uh, and we delivered. So the product, you know, the Nord Board, our very first product, does what it says it was meant to do, and it's been uh, tremendously popular for you know seven years now and counting. It's it's the, you know, I, I think it's the undisputed king of hamstring testing yeah. around the world now. Um, and it probably would have sounded arrogant to say one uh, a while ago, but it's um it's pretty hard to deny now. Yeah. And um, so from there, um, you know, we we had a nice sort of foothold and a good re reputation as some of those big teams. Uh, but we sort of knew from the fairly early days that that probably wasn't the end game, that there's 
there are 20 English Premier League teams, but we've run out now. You know, there's no more English Premier League teams to sell to. So we um, we can keep coming up with new products, um, but each time you come up with a new product, there's 20 teams there, and that's it. There's, there's never going to be any more, or if there are, it, you know, it's going to be a very, very small number. It's going to be something around that. Same with NFL, same with all the sporting leagues you see around the world. There's a very finite number of them, and it's a very, very, very pointy end of the market where these are these are really... These are anomalies. These organisations—they're, you know, they're, they're worth billions of dollars, and there's only so much space in the world for a very small number of them. Yeah. Um, you know, we love sport, and I think Aussies—we, we, in general, we just love sport and love being a part of it. And I think that's part of where the reputations come from. And we, like yeah, Laurie Malone, my co-founder, our CEO, my best mate, and Chris Rowe was our first employee. It was sort of the three of us from the early days. We all love sport, and that's why we got into this. Mm. Um, you know, that's really what kind of spurred us on in the early days, but it is very finite and the elite sports market, you know, we, we, there are different numbers that different companies would quote, but there's probably somewhere around like five to 8,000 sporting elite sporting teams or organizations around the world that might be at the sort of level to have interest in the kinds of technologies that we make. So, um, it's a fair few. That's more than we have as clients, but it's it is finite. So we sort of always knew that there, there was application beyond just sport, um, and that um, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more about. But um, where we have this sort of very rapidly growing market in allied health. So when you go into physio- physiotherapy, exercise physiology, uh, you know the adjoining areas of orthopedics, things like that, um, areas that are you know, treating your general punter or, you know, your your grandparents or manual labourers or any sort of thing. And they're, they're treating the same sorts of uh, injuries and issues that occur in elite sport. Yeah. They're just doing it for your average punter. And there's not the same level of money. There's not the same level of prestige. But uh, the market's probably 500 times the size around the world. You know, there's, there's probably, based on the numbers we have, there'd be, there's well in excess of a million physiotherapy clinics around the world. So it's, it's a very, very big market. And that's sort of where, um, I'm not going to say the end game, but that's sort of where we saw the springboard from elite sport. And we sort of figured that um, we would need to make that transition someday in order to really get, uh, really have the business kind of grow and reach its potential. Mm-hmm. And also the, you know, we, we, like I said, we love sport and we love being involved in it and having that impact on it. But ultimately, you know, you're eking out 1% for these highly paid athletes, which is yeah. great. And it's great seeing them perform and sort of thinking I might have, you know, we might've had some little role to play in that. Totally. But I think gen- helping the, you know, the general public um, and, you know, people around the world recover from you know, fairly devastating injuries or surgeries or things that might've happened. It's, it's, it's a bit, uh, I don't know. I think it helps you, from a motivational standpoint and from like what kind of drives us, it's something that I think it has a longer term sort of bigger impact that we can have as a business and something that kind of drives us a bit more in the longer term. Um, so there's the sort of perhaps the the sort of short term sexy side of elite sport, but I think what the the real end goal they're working towards is to, to democratise what elite sport has and try and get access to that for everyone. Everyone who has a musculoskeletal issue or injury or goal of some kind and try to get them access to what those elite sports have. I've sort of rambled on there a little bit, but that's no. 
that's where I think elite, elite sport fits in for us. Yeah, totally, mate. It's a magnificent answer because you've given us such uh, depth and the backstory. Um, and that's the thing. It's it's a really interesting point that you make. So can I ask, in terms of that transition out of elite sport, like obviously the elite sport, the fact that you've got so many massive clients, that's going to open a lot of these million dollar, uh, million physiotherapy practices around the world. That's going to open a lot of those doors. The fact that you've got that cred, yeah. So when was it in, was it three, four years ago? When, when did you guys, I mean, you've built this from the ground up, Sam, so it's an incredible achievement. But when did you sort of sit back and say, okay, this is where we need to direct ourselves? How long has this strategy been in the making for going for the democratization um yeah so it's it's probably something that was in the back of our heads from the very start of the business because again we we were um you know when we were still really just learning about the product and the industry and everything you know like before vol got started and and even thereafter with um you know the researchers that came up with the nordboard the first product and their broader research team we sort of pretty quickly realized there were applications beyond elite sport um but the focus was very much where the opportunity was at the time and that was in elite sport you know we weren't if we were dragging prototypes around the us meeting with um sole owner operator physio clinics we probably would have been wasting our time back then when we could have been having meetings with you know multi-billion dollar sporting organizations who definitely have the money to buy what we were selling Mm. um but we knew that there was the again the your average physiotherapist treats the same issues and injuries and problems that the elite sport physiotherapists do so it's it's the same people in the same professions with the same skill just working in very different organizations so we, I think we knew that market was there from the very start, but we we also knew that there was a lot of work that needed needed to go into actually um, uh, cracking it open. And so the the Nordboard, our very first product, uh, ironically perhaps uh, probably has the least application in allied health and general population physiotherapy out of all of our products these days. That's not to say that it has none. We have quite a lot of physiotherapy clinics around the world that use the Nordboard, yeah. um, but some of the other products that perhaps treat more common or more generic types of injuries or pathologies have ended up being the ones that have really um, got a foothold in in those more general population uh, physio clinics and orthopedic uh, you know outpatient centers and things like that um, so it took it, it took quite a lot of time to build the product suite to really suit that market um, and the big thing obviously is that when you're dealing with say like an owner operator uh, physiotherapist, yeah. their budget's a little bit different from the Dallas Cowboys. So <laughs> um, it, it has taken time to, like, part, the, the biggest part of that democratization process is making things affordable. Yeah. Um, so taking those technologies and miniaturizing them, uh, cost optimizing them, uh, value engineering them, getting them to a point where they can do everything they need to do, but they're actually accessible for the people who need them because. Yeah. That's essentially what we did, even starting off in elite sport and the Nordboard, our first product. Um, it, it really democratized access that would have to the sorts of technologies that typically would have been confined to a university lab mm. previous to that. So there were uh, products and technologies that used the similar types of sensors that measured similar types of things to the Nordboard, but would cost a hundred thousand bucks or two hundred thousand bucks and. Mm would weigh 500 kilos and would, would typically, you know, take a PhD to operate yeah. and would sit in a university lab naturally because that's the, the places that had the budgets and skills and the expertise to use them. Yeah. And the Nordboard democratised 
that sort of technology into elite sport where they're very time poor. Typically, they're jack of all trades, so they don't have time to get a PhD in how to use some some crazy bit of technology. Um, <clears throat> and then the next step is the same principle, but taking it down the next layer and saying, how do we make this accessible to your average physio? Yeah. And that's sort of a step that has taken many years to get there. And we're, I think we're there now. And that market is, you know, we sort of see a trajectory to that overtaking elite sport as a market for us in the next couple of years uh, or, or next few years. Yeah. Uh, but then we're already looking ahead to that next step and saying, well, how do we make this not just accessible to every uh, physiotherapist uh, in the world, but every individual um, so who's being treated, treated by a physiotherapist? How, how can they get access to some of these things, perhaps in their home or for their, their own personal use when they're not with a physio? So we're kind of now at the point where we can kind of look ahead to that next step and where the future of the business is and the future of the industry. Mm. And again, it, it, it's, it all sort of ties back to having us having had that experience and seeing how elite sport operates um, and perhaps not necessarily seeing all of the piece of the puzzle back then, but learning a lot about how elite sport operates and thinking, well, it'd be really nice if, you know, your, your average punter who goes into a physio clinic could access a lot of these same sorts of services and technologies and data uh, for themselves. You know, it's never going to be quite at the same level as elite sport. They're always going to lead, lead the pack. Um, but how do we drag drag it down that chain as quickly as possible? Man, it's a, it's a brilliant process. And I love also before you mentioned that that's the, the thing that makes you get out of bed in the morning and go to work and work the long hours. The fact you're able to impact the everyday grandpa that's struggling with the back or it's the young kid that's been getting their sports career going, but they're, you know, they're finding troubles, their hammies, whatever the case might be. To be able to impact at that level, as well as obviously at the, at the very elite, as you say, the Dallas Cowboys, one of the richest of all. Um how do you go about it from a strategy point of view and from a tech point of view, both of which you've headed up with Vold, a company that you've, as I say, built from the ground up? Like, How do you go about trying to distill a product that is at that elite level to bring it down and to do it in a way that, as you say, ticks the two boxes? It's affordable and it's actually applicable. People who don't have the, the great scientific mind can use it. How do you go about that? How do you re do it without reducing too much quality? Uh, so it's a good question. Lots of uh, blood, sweat and tears, ultimately. Yeah. Um, and and we've sort of really taken it one step at a time. Um, you know, we've we've been we've, we've always been a business that's been we, we have a big sign up on our wall in the warehouse um, that has sort of our mantras of what the the business is all about and one of them is we do what we say we will and there's a there's a few others up there but that's one that i think really sticks with me and, and we've always been a business to say well let's bite off something that we think we can very realistically achieve in a fairly short period of time and deliver it yeah. so if that's a product Let's, let's define a scope of what this product's going to do, what problem it's going to solve and deliver it. We're not going to iterate on it for five years. We're not going to have this endless R&D cycle that just goes round and round and round in refinement. Yeah. We're going to deliver a product to market that's going to, that's going to be, obviously, like we have a very high bar for quality. Yeah. So we're not, we're not, uh, we're, we're, we're the absolute opposite of rushing product development, mm. but we are very much about finishing what we set out to achieve. And I think we've, we've looking back again, this is something that was probably just kind of, you know, baked into how uh, all of our staff from the, the very early days kind of operated, which is um, kind of been testament to what we've, they've been able to achieve as a team over the years. But um, 
we sort of had that mentality from the very start. We didn't necessarily see where that was going to get us to. Um, but I think that's the thing that's kind of worked quite well for us, where we're biting off, you know, one one piece of the puzzle at a time yeah. and, and, and really finishing it and getting it to market and and but then learning from it and saying, okay, what's the next thing? And then what's the next thing? And what's the next thing? So, and I think that, so that started off with a very narrow focus with the Nord board. You know, we're looking at um, measuring hamstring strength and, and so essentially creating a tool that might be of use to people in considering whether someone might be at risk of a hamstring injury or, or how they're recovering from a hamstring injury or something like that. Very narrow. Um, and then we just broaden out a little bit and say, okay, we've, you know, we've sort of, we've delivered on that. What's sort of the next logical thing to start looking at? The next product is the force frame, which is more of a general purpose um, fixed point dynamometry system for measuring all kinds of different strengths across the body. Um, so all of a sudden we had a more holistic solution for doing similar sort of things, but on a, with a broader application and then sort of took the next step and the next step. And that's sort of what has eventually brought us to where we are today. Yeah. Um, and I think each, each time I sort of, uh, we've sort of set our goals out a little bit further ahead and, and looked at what do we want to do next? And then thinking, okay, what, what will we want to do after that? And after yeah. that, and the, as more time's gone on, we've been able to project and plan a bit further and further ahead, you know, in the first, year or two of the business we're just trying to keep the lights on you know yeah. make sure that the money in the bank doesn't run out and that's probably the first few years of the business to be honest um and so but these you know these days we don't worry about those things so much anymore we're, we're thinking you know which which of our technologies might be obsolete in a few years time mm -hmm. which technologies are emerging that aren't ready yet that we want to start preparing for so that we're sort of on the on the crest of the wave when when it does come um uh, come to fruition in the next few years and things like that. So we, we've, as we've gone on, we've been able to look a bit further ahead and build on what we've done previously. So I think the our sort of vision for where we want the business to head and the sort of uh, how we define ourselves and and where we sit in the market has, you know, we probably had no idea where that was going to be at the start. We just had this super narrow focus, but it's just widened and widened over time. And I think it's quite naturally got to where it is today. Mm. And so, you know, what I was sort of saying at the start about being, you know, the, the musculoskeletal health space being where we play, I think we've defined that really nicely and we have a nice suite of technologies that address that. But we've also got a bunch more things within that very broad definition that we want to do over the coming years. So it's sort of narrow enough that it describes what we actually do and broad enough to have a lot of scope for us to do more. And as like we're a business with 185 odd staff now, mm. um, so this was something that sort of didn't need to be communicated in the early days. Everyone knew that we were building a hamstring testing device <laughs> and selling it, and that's super simple. Um, now, sort of having some of these guiding principles to to make sure that those things that have you know given us some success along the way um, continue through the business. Um, it, it's all happened quite naturally, but we I think it's sort of coming back full circle, I think we, we've been with that focused, always kind of set a set a project and a goal and deliver it yeah. um, as, as a stepping stone along the way to what we want to achieve in the future has kind of been how that's evolved over the years. And each one of those is a quite, you know, not, I'm not going to say a small piece of work, but a very sort of finite, achievable body of work. Um, but we've been able to get through them very quickly, release a lot of products to market, and so that's kind of snowballed very quickly. So I sort of fast forward to today and the business is like many, many, many times beyond where we ever thought it would get to when we started off. And that's something that's only really been able to happen because it's kind of 
um, you know, we've sort of stood on the shoulders of giants as, as we've gone along. And as the team's been built, we've had a lot of exceptional people join us that have been able to do things that, you know, Laurie, Chris and myself could never have done. And so we've been, you know, perhaps a, a, a bit lucky along the way to get some great hires and build a great team around us. Um, but yeah, I, I assume that answers the question. Mate, it certainly does. And the thing is, yourself, Laurie and Chris are giants of this industry, you know. So how does that feel, mate, you know, reflecting on that, the fact that, you know, you started this journey, what, seven years ago and and now, you know, like literally as we speak, there's probably some old bloke in some uh, physiotherapy clinic in a suburb in Berlin who's, you know, having pain relieved and, and getting a better quality of life because of what you've invented. Uh, equally, over in Dallas, some of the greatest athletes in the world are getting the same thing. They're optimizing performance in the UK, in Australia, right around the world. That's the impact that you and your company is having as we speak. How does it feel? Um, it's surreal. It, it really is. Like, um, you know, again, we just, we, we're a couple, we're, we're a three young guys who just wanted to ha- have a punt at this when we when we got started and we saw the opportunity and knew there was there was something in it this hamstring testing device where we started and to be yeah. where we are today it's it's absolutely surreal never never could have imagined it in a in a million years um but i think we've yeah we've we've benefited from you know a, a lot of help and a lot of great people along the way and some uh, i think our, our, our timing has been right i think the market's ready for for products like ours um so you know if you rewind or fast forward a couple of years it probably doesn't play out the way that it had and um yeah it's i don't know i i we're sort of we're still you know we still work very hard with very long hours so you often Mm -hmm. don't see the forest for the trees you know you don't get back time to sit back and really enjoy the successes all that often but sort of increasingly as the business goes along we get more and more time to kind of you know, think a bit bigger and reflect a bit more and everything. And it, it, it really is surreal. Like we had, um, uh, we have about 50 international staff these days and we had almost all of them in Brisbane a couple of weeks ago um, for uh, our first um, uh, Voldcon, we called it, but yeah, it was an nice. interna- international uh, get together because <laughs> yeah. um, the staff, because our um, team has got so big that we, we sort of really needed to get everyone together and and uh, talk about where the business was going and, and help train up some of our international staff that hadn't been exposed to the product teams and the marketing teams here in Brisbane before and things like that. And that, I'd say that was probably the point for me most uh, most recently where I was sort of able to reflect on how far we've come. And it was, it was pretty daunting sort of standing in front of a crowd of 160-odd people. Again, it was nearly the entire business um, yeah. uh, sitting here in Brisbane a couple of weeks ago to think that we'd sort of made it to there when we, we started the business and we were literally at the dining room table of the share house that uh, Laurie and Chris owned that I was renting a room off uh, when we started the business. And that was uh, seven years ago. So it's um, it's crazy. It really is crazy. But uh, it's pretty fun. We enjoy it. You've gone from the share house to the penthouse. Fantastic. Um, mate, very <laughs> Not quite good. yet. Hopefully eventually. <laughs> yeah. In future, head of Europe will mean sailing on a yacht around Europe. That'll be your job just to... Yeah. Have have an app that shows the numbers that are coming in. Yep. Hey, <laughs> um, mate, it's it's a fascinating journey that you're on. I, I want to tap into something you said there, like, and and earlier on you spoke about the Australian way of doing business. 
Um, and from what I can uh, garner from what you said, it's very much about reliability, dependability, reliability, dependability. What advice have you got? Because we've got a lot of people listening to the show that are startups that are probably a bit more in the share house uh, as, as you were seven years ago. What advice would you have for Aussies who are perhaps thinking, I don't know if I can do it, I don't know, you know, the world's a big world, you know, there's a lot of great uh, tech in America, I don't know if I can compete. What advice would you have? Um, yeah, so it's, uh, I think looking back again, we, we sort of probably didn't really know what we were doing right or wrong in the early days, but we do have the, the benefit of um, hindsight now. Yeah. And I think one of the... Um, one of the things that we did right from the very early days was we just got out there and met with a lot of people. Um, so in the first few years of the business, when there were very few of us, um, typically each of us, so Laurie, Chris and myself, would spend at least three months straight in the US and Europe around uh, the second quarter of each year, which is the key buying cycle in for the big sporting leagues uh, in Europe and in the US. Um, Around that time of year. So, so we just, sorry, so uh, Sam, is that the second quarter financial year or calendar? Uh, calendar. So we so yeah. we'd spend sort of from um, uh, March to June, July. Yeah. Uh, between the three of us, um, yeah. In the early days, I was sort of chained to a desk in Brisbane, working on the product and building the things that have to go out and everything. But uh, you know, I did a bit of my time overseas in the subsequent years. But we. Yeah. Particularly Laurie and Chris in the early days, um, we're on a plane over in the US, over in Europe, just attending conferences, teeing up meetings, going to see people, driving all day and all night, staying in crappy motels, um, but just getting out there and actually meeting people. And I think the, I talk about the sort of Aussie way of doing things, but we're very, yeah. I think as, as a as a country, you know, we're, we're, we're very understated, which sometimes hurts us. Um, but when you're actually face to face with someone, it's very, it, it's undeniably endearing, I think. And particularly for, uh, in the U S where most people are used to dealing with the American way of selling, which is pretty aggressive, very upfront. Uh, and it's often, it just sort of goes against a lot of how uh, a lot of how Aussies like dealing with uh, people, and I think you you find that uh, people who are selling something coming out of Australia typically approach it quite differently. Mm-hmm. And where we're going to, so we would go into meetings and we'd say, look, this is what the product does, this is what it doesn't do. Uh, it'll be good for these things. People would ask questions, and we'd say, look, if if that's what you want it for, it might not be for you. Yeah. Um, that's not really what it's what it's best at. And then we found, we found that, um, particularly in the US, but again, sort of all around the world, um, you'd often walk out of a meeting and some and someone would say, "Hey, look, I really liked how you guys didn't bullshit me. Like, <laughs> I, I asked you questions that you could have just said yes to, and I would have believed you. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate that you were honest with me because we get people coming in here trying to sell us the dream day in day out, and it's really hard to know what's what's what. And we really appreciate your your honesty." While you're in town, how about I call up three or four of my buddies that are in other major league teams over there and over there, and I'll, I'll you know, they, they'd love to see this as well. And those sort of doors don't typically open unless those people yeah. get a good feeling from you in that That's first totally. meeting. Um, because I think that most people are used to being getting the hard sell, uh, naturally just going to meetings with their guard up. And, and it yeah. takes, and I think coming in as an Aussie, it's a, it's a very sort of, I think it's, we have a very, 
endearing sort of culture, and we're we're well liked as a as a as a as a as a nation overseas. And so I think if you know just being being yourself in a meeting and just having a chat with people and being honest and open, mm. but again, put you're know, putting your best foot forward naturally. You know, it's it's you have to tell people what you actually can do for them, but just being honest and upfront um, actually is quite endearing in a lot of scenarios. And um, it that in turn opens a lot more doors, but it, that, that doesn't happen unless you get on a plane and get over there in the first place. And we spent a tremendous amount of time on the road meeting with people and, and doing that part of it. And I think there are a lot of companies that I've come across in Australia who they seem to like clearly they're, they're capable of booking a ticket and getting on a plane, mm. but they seem to have some sort of barrier in their heads as to what it actually takes to go over there and, and get some meetings. It's actually not tremendously difficult. It takes time and effort to go, you know, reach out to people and find contacts and yeah. tee up meetings and get a schedule together, but anyone can do it from a computer and a phone in Australia. And I think that they're taking that first leap and actually getting over there and, and, um, and meeting with your clients and learning from them uh, is the most important one. And that's one that we got right. I don't think we knew that it was right in the early days. We just knew that that was a very big market that we had to have some success in if we were ever going to be successful as a business Mm. and just seemed logical to get over there and do that. And I think subsequently we've probably realised a lot of businesses don't do that. And I think that's Mm. uh, something that's just going to hamper your growth if you're not out there and, if nothing else, even if you're not, even if you don't actually sell any products, you're going to learn a lot, and that's the that's probably the most important part of it. That's my big bit of advice, but uh, there's there's plenty of others, uh, plenty of other tripping uh, points you can trip up along the way as well. It's great advice, you know. Have a crack and be straight up, um, and and from the sound of it, like what you're saying, yeah, being, exactly. being, you know, but being legit and being honest actually makes you cut through. It actually makes you stand out from the crowd because perhaps, uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's not as uh, common as it, it could be. Um, mate, a, a really great mate of mine, Corey Mostrin, is a, a star wheelchair athlete in Queensland, your home state as well. Uh, he plays for the Queensland Wheelchair Rugby League side. They just won the state of origin a couple of months ago, beat New South Wales. And and Corey's big on this in the way in which, you know, all this sort of cutting edge tech, how can it transfer across? And I know that you guys at Vold do a tremendous job. You work with some wheelchair athletes and other para-athletes um, and a number of Olympic, Paralympic organizations around the world. Can you touch on that a bit, Sam, and just how there are some crossovers? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, um, the like when we started off and had a fairly narrow product offering, we probably had a lot less exposure to para athletes but now that we have quite a broad product suite um there's sort of we have a range of solutions and some of them are you know more or less applicable to para athletes with you know different sort of abilities Mm. Uh, and so we're seeing that um yeah there is our products are being used sort of day in day out quite a lot um in para sports and we um, I think you quoted a stat earlier but there's something like 50 or 70 or 100 sort of um uh, institutes of sport or national governing bodies around the world that are using our, our gear now. Mm. And almost all of those have some sort of, you know, para-athlete uh, service that they kind of uh, look after athletes there as well. So we, yeah. we, we've sort of, and, and look, we, we're, we're very much, a, you've probably got the impression, but we're, we're a company that we don't really tell people what to do with, with our products. Like we, yeah, they're the practitioners, they're the ones that, 
that know what's best for their athletes or their patients or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, we, we have to, you know, it's part of our job to help educate them on what they might be able to do with it, but they're the ones that need to make the decisions in the end. Um, so ultimately, we, we sort of try and make the tools that can do a bunch of different things. Yeah. And then we're, we're always very interested to see what people actually do with it in practice. And we've seen some very creative practitioners um, come up with some really interesting tests, uh, not just for power athletes, but for everyone in general. Um, and as a part of that, yeah, we've seen, you know, um, wheelchair athletes uh, getting assessed for uh, trunk, shoulder, neck mobility um, uh, in the wheelchair. And there are, we, we have a range of products that can sort of assess those things that they're not dependent on you being in a standing position necessarily. Uh, naturally for those, uh, for wheelchair athletes, the upper body strength is very important. Uh, strength and mobility, and we have a range of tools that can sort of assess different facets of that um, you know, movement and performance and everything. So, and then and then through to uh, in in a clinical world as well. You know, we have a um, a lot of uh, physiotherapists, like we were talking about earlier, that have our products and are using them on patients of all different sort of shapes and sizes, and um, and that includes uh, you know para athletes or um, uh, patients with a dis disability of some kind that are treating them. So anything from like, uh, like I, I was speaking to one of our guys about this the other day after you, you mentioned it, Lockie. But um, like, there's a, a clinic in in Queensland that was a, a good example that he sent through who are who deal with a bunch of uh, uh, wheelchair athletes. It's sort of a, a client base that they have. It's quite strong, yeah. and they'll test shoulder, internal, external rotation, flexion, extension. Um, uh, abduction, adduction, range of motion and strength, um, cervical strength and range of motion, elbow flexion, strength and range of motion, like this massive range of things that they're looking in those athletes, yeah. um, which are things that, again, if we look at the democratization thing side of things, it's, it's pretty cool to see because yeah. those sorts of um, uh, assessments and data and technologies just wouldn't have been accessible to... Well, most athletes in general, but, you know, we, we typically see that as far as access goes, usually para-athletes have access to less than able-bodied athletes. It's mm. probably, that's no big secret. Um, but these things probably wouldn't have been accessible even a few years ago. And now we have a, a physio clinic based here in um, in Queensland who's who's delivering these sort of services to, to people who come through the door. And it's pretty, it's pretty cool to see. So... Yeah. yeah, it's um, they, they, we we get a bunch of nice sort of surprises like that these days. It's kind of that's this is one of the things where we get to probably these kind of uh, moments where we get a bit of time to reflect, where you know, see something pop up on social media and someone's using our products in a way that we perhaps never imagined that they could be, or they're collecting data on a population that we never thought would be or never imagined would be of of relevance. And um, yeah, it's pretty cool to see, and it's just nice to think that you're playing some small role in, you know, helping people get better or faster or stronger or whatever else it is. Oh, totally. Well, i tell you what, Sam, you'll have to cut. So I did, um, they had the, the local um, Queensland uh, wheelchair rugby league grand final the other day in Caloundra, and they did a come and try event at the Caloundra Indoor Centre. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I tell you what, I had a crack at it, the wheelchair rugby league. And you talk about the upper body strength. It's just extraordinary. Oh, yeah. The experience is extraordinary. And, you know, you've got to turn on a dime. Um, 
you'll have to come and have a crack at it next time. They're doing one in March, mate. You'd absolutely love it. I don't uh, think I could handle it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mate, it's um, it's magnificent, and it's a collision yeah. as well. It's sort of like yeah. roller derby. Like it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, mate. It's 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 good fun. Um, tremendous. Um, and the good thing, uh, you know, is what they do is, as I say, they have this come and try day, so everyone can get involved, and it's yeah, no, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Hey, tell you what, uh, you know, something I've, uh, through doing all the sports tech conferences over the years, I always see Vault. You always see the Viking horns, you see the <laughs> logo, you guys are front and centre all the time. You give a lot back to the industry. Can you tell us how important the Aussie industry is to you? Now you're one of the giants of our industry, but in terms of how you see our industry, ASTN, um, and, and the way it's going forward? Yeah, well, we, I, I don't think we see ourselves as giants. By, by any means, but because um, uh, we, I sort of think back, I was at the very first um, ASTM conference in Melbourne, which is 2012, I think, yeah. but which was a few years before Vold started. And, um, you know, there's some there's some businesses there that you think, oh, that's, I can't even imagine what it would be like to to kind of be amongst uh, amongst them. You know, there's Fusion Sport, um, Kookaburra, you know, there's just a bunch of, your, your, you know, your house, almost household names, uh, sort of attending events like that, and um, so it's it's pretty surreal to be kind of I guess you know acknowledged you know somewhere near alongside some of those businesses these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the industry as a whole has been like, like we have very much benefited from that. Like I think the I sort of uh, I think alluded to it a bit earlier that that sports science and sports technology in Australia like really um, punches above its weight. Like we. And I think it really comes from uh, we have a culture that really supports sport. And so we love sport. Uh, We disproportionately fund sport. There might not quite be the same amount of money there is in the Premier League or the American sports, but for a population our sort of size, there, there is money in sport. There are jobs in sport. There are opportunities, and we love it. And we end up with some of the best practitioners and researchers and technology that the world has to offer um, coming out of Australia. And we've just sort of been, at least partially, we've sort of just been along for the ride with that in that we were in a space that was well supported. You know, we've we've benefited from uh, government grants and, and schemes along the way that would not have existed in other countries. Mm. And the the ASTN, I think, is is with a with a focus in that you know the the niche of sports technology has um has kind of was just kind of been the common thread through everything. Uh, and we've been we've attended a lot of ASTN conferences over the years and met a lot of people and. You know, formed a lot of relationships um, that that's kind of been the center point of. So it's been um, that kind of, and and the ASTN, you know, there's the Australian Sports Technology Network, but I think there's a network that sort of formed beyond that that's not necessarily even directly associated with the ASTN, but it's been a part of that kind of work that's gone into it in kind of fostering that ecosystem. Yeah. And those those companies that I was talking about that was that were kind of around at the very first ASTN event, you know, most of them are still leaders in the industry and doing great things and they're bigger and better now and um we've just sort of been able to stand on the shoulders of giants to kind of benefit from some of their success and they've sort of paved a lot of the way in the market and making the reputation for australian sports technology and i think we're just kind of glad to be a part of that and hopefully contribute to it and 
and and and we 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 certainly try where we can to give back to the to the network and the industry um like we're i think we're, we're certainly guilty like many people are of getting getting so busy sometimes that we perhaps forget to you know reach out and give back and offer time and everything but i think as the, as the business gets bigger and we're afforded a bit more time to do things like this it's something that um you know, laurie chris and myself and and you know the broader team are, are very keen to sort of keep that flywheel going and kind of give back and hopefully like the next uh you know the next companies that come through go on to bigger and better things and you know we'd love to be a part of all that as well you know we we want to see we want to sort of think you know bigger than bold and keep the you know we want to and the, the, this network effect to kind of help everyone and we want to be much bigger and better in years to come than we are today and we won't be able to do that unless unless there continues to be that support and the network and the you know, great people and the government support and ASTM has been a champion of that the whole way along you know there's no there's really no other organization in Australia that champions for sports technology like they do uh, well, mate, there's no question that you, Laurie, Chris, and your company and all of your team, 185 now, are giants of the industry, mate. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for taking time out of your, your very hectic schedule uh, to be on the show. Sam James from Vold, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. Love it. How yeah, good. You know, talking about the way in which honesty and ad- admitting things you can't do actually helps to cut through to get people to... Um, to see you and 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 trust what you're saying. Yes, a very nice approach, and, and clearly, it's worked wonders. Uh, Sam James from Vault Performance, there, magnificent. All right, uh, up now, Tom Dimitriou, our APAC correspondent, with Ollie Howard from Startup Bootcamp. And we've got one of the catalysts with us for the, for the conference. He's a very important man. Um, can you introduce yourself, please? Firstly, that's too kind, Tom. Um, it's a pleasure to be here and back in person. My name's Ollie Howard. I'm the Managing Director of Sports and Event Tech at Startup Bootcamp. And um, tell us about Startup Bootcamp. What do you guys do in, in an elevator pitch type scenario? Yeah, sure. We're, we're a global uh, accelerator program. So we're a venture capitalist. We invest in uh, startups around the world and then run that under an accelerator model. So we partner with uh, major organisations in different verticals, um, in sport, organisations like the Grand Prix, the Australian Grand Prix Corporation, uh, Cricket Australia, Victoria Racing Club, Netball Australia, Rowing Australia, you know, major sports. Um, with those organisations we set problem themes or opportunity areas and then we go around the world to find startups and scale-ups that solve those issues. Is your plan to go global and exit or is it one of those businesses that can exit with the dividend? Our model's a little different, so we, um, you know, we have a portfolio of alumni startups. We're now over uh, 1,000 startups internationally. Fantastic. Um, you know, so I don't know where an exit on that pipeline. We, we're growing rapidly, um, adding verticals, adding programs quite rapidly, um, and we're loving it. We're solving you know, real-world problems. We're growing valuations in those companies, and you know, those companies are exiting, which uh, flows back to our company. But um, yeah, I, I'd say we are a, a very global. We have 22 offices around the world oh, in, wow. in major that's, cities. That's definitely not local. But very a very localised view in terms of you know sports tech we, we do in three areas. Um, so Melbourne um, or Australia, um, Rome and Qatar. Okay. 
All right. So with all the major events coming up in the next 10 years, leading up to the, to, to the Olympics in 2032, are you excited about what's going to happen in the sports tech industry? Man, this is fantastic. This is putting a spotlight on an industry that I love and deeply believe in. Um, it's putting funding uh, into the industry and you know, bringing the world's best to Australia. Um, I think excited's an understatement. 10 years is a good runway. It gives us time. Um, there's a lot that needs to be done. So a lot of government support, a lot of uh, industry support. Um, I work in innovation. I care for Horizon 2, Horizon 3 technologies. These are the technologies that will be implemented for the games and now's the time to be doing it. Nice, nice, nice. That's Ollie Howard from Startup Bootcamp there with our APAC correspondent, Tom Dimitru. That wraps us up. Thank you very much for your company. We'll catch you next week. Sports Cutting Edge for the Australian Sports Technologies Network. You've been listening to Sports Cutting Edge for the Australian Sports Technologies Network. For more, jump online at astn.com.au.